Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I can't really wish you a Merry Christmas in all the circumstances. The best I can do is wish you a better New Year in 2024. But more of that later. 15 years ago on this day, Israel began its original mass assault on Gaza. Operation Cast Lead was so horrific, it moved me and hundreds of other British people to lead a convoy of aid all the way to Gaza. And therein lies a tale or two. Israel killed 1,400 people in Operation Cast Lead. It has already killed more than 25,000 people in the assault, the genocide of 2023. Two Hiroshima's, that's Hiroshima and Nagasaki, have already been landed on the prisoners in the concentration camp called Gaza, from which there is no escape. And the unhinged Netanyahu has just committed an act of murder in Damascus against an important general, a commander of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, which will surely be answered. The war is set to spread. What can be done to try and stop it? Fasten your seatbelts. This truly will be the mother of all talk shows. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. It was very difficult, especially for those with young children, like we have three young children, to cancel Christmas. But it was surely evident that it could not be Christmas as usual. I myself sat through a mass in which none of what we have all been watching was even mentioned, including the nativity scene in Bethlehem, the place where Jesus was born, but which had officially canceled Christmas because the baby Jesus would nowadays have been born amongst the rubble and would be likely to survive beyond its nappies. Uh, The trouble is that whilst the rest of the so-called Christian world was concentrating on the spirituality of Christmas, the geography of Christmas, the demography of Christmas had to be entirely ignored, for that would have required the courage to say exactly what is happening to whom from whom, and that would have required a level of courage from Christian leaders, which is, I'm afraid, quite beyond them. For now, maybe forever, certainly for a long time. The 15th anniversary of Operation Cast Lead 
information for which I'm grateful to our legend Simon in Florida brought memories flooding back for me. Because so horrific was the 2008 assault on Gaza, we thought that was genocide. We thought that that was the Genghis Khan school of war. We thought that was a crime without parallel to bomb people with massive 2,000-pound bombs, dumb bombs, no pretense of laser-guided precision uh, bombing and the rest, just dumb 2,000-pound bombs dropped on people who had nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. We thought that was as bad as it could possibly get. We thought that would be a bridge too far for the Western governments, Western liberal progressive circles, Western academia, Western media. We thought that would be a bridge too far for them. As it turned out, it was not. And now we have a situation where more tonnage of high explosives has been dropped on a tiny area, 25 miles long, and at its narrowest, five miles wide, entirely closed off to the outside world. The very definition of shooting fish in a barrel, except they're not fish. And the shooting sure ain't simple lead. This is casting lead of an exponentially larger dimension, but on the same small territory and on the same small population of people. This is the Genghis Khan form of warfare. Anyone who's seen the pictures and video coming out of North Gaza today will recognize nothing other than the wasteland, nothing other than the desert that the Roman philosopher and general Tacitus Called us, told us about centuries ago. They created a desert and they called it peace, said Tacitus. They have created a desert, all right, in Gaza, but they have no intention of calling it peace. In fact, it is now nakedly obvious what was obvious by inference throughout all of the past 11 weeks is now openly stated. Netanyahu himself stated it to his Likud party leadership this very day. He said that they were actively working with Latin American and African countries to take the Palestinians currently living in Gaza. In other words, to ethnically cleanse, to genocide and ethnically cleanse the people protected by international law as citizens living in an occupied country, Gaza is, according to international law, occupied territory, and therefore, under the protection of the so-called international community, protected by the Geneva Conventions, though Biden is now asking the Swiss to absolve and to uh, negate the provisions of the Geneva Conventions, so far as Israel in Gaza is concerned. You couldn't make that one up for a Christmas time occupation. But the reality is these people are the responsibility 
of the United Nations. That's why there are United Nations clinics there. That's why there are United Nations schools. That's why the UNRWA, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, has been working there since 1967, when Israel first militarily occupied this territory. The UN services in Gaza are proof positive that in international law, these people are our responsibility, a responsibility that we have completely abdicated. Even the United Nations, which has lost a three-figure number of their own officials in this genocidal spasm of 11 weeks, which shows no sign at all of lessening, have not been able even to find the moral courage to suspend or expel Israel from the body whose officials they are openly murdering in very large numbers, not just more than 100 UN officials, but the entire families of many of those UN officials. France has had its consul general in Gaza murdered by Israel, but cannot find the moral courage even to reproach the state of Israel to the extent of ordering its diplomats out of the country in retaliation for the murder of its own diplomatic representation in Gaza. You may well be asking just what is this spell which Israel has cast amongst the multitude of Western leaders who have not yet even now called for an end to this frenzy of murderous violence. I saw a video today uh, which was not more gruesome uh, than many, maybe most, of the videos that I have watched, had the misfortune to watch scarring my mind for the rest of my time here on this earth. But this video I saw today was particularly powerful. Look it up. It was a young boy about the age of my nine-year-old son carrying the dead body of his friend of the same age over his shoulder. The young boy lay dead across the shoulder of a nine-year-old boy carrying him. I don't know where. Certainly not to a hospital. There are no hospitals operating normally or even half normally, even 20% normally in the Gaza Strip now. Just carrying him because he was his friend. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. The little boy might have said. It is an image that I hope those responsible for facilitating will carry with them on their conscience for the rest of their time on this earth and after the day of judgment for eternity. Because it summed up to me the utter immoral vacuum that exists in the political class in the West because nobody could claim that this violence of two Hiroshima's can in any way be considered proportionate as it must be under international law to what happened on October 7th 
inside Israel itself. It cannot possibly be that you can kill a completely unrelated young boy and all the other young boys and young girls and young babies and their mothers and their fathers, their grandfathers, their grandmothers. You're not allowed to do that. That collective punishment is illegal. Every single last bit of it. If the British had leveled West Belfast in response to an IRA atrocity in London, what would the American government, above all, have had to say about that? No American president could possibly have tolerated that. That's collective punishment, they'd say. You're killing people who had nothing to do with the IRA action in London. You're killing women and children, and in massive numbers, completely out of all proportion to the numbers killed in the IRA action, in my uh, analogy that I'm drawing here. That's what the American government would have said. It's what every European government would have said. It's what the Irish government would have said. But in fact, the British government, bad though its conduct has always been, in Ireland, never even contemplated for a moment committing such a heinous act. Genghis Khan, maybe we can bring this a bit nearer up to date. When Nazi officials in occupied Europe were murdered, killed by the resistance movements in those countries, the Nazi occupation rounded people up and murdered them in grossly disproportionate numbers, and many of them hanged for doing so after the trials in Nuremberg. For people of my age, words like Lidici in Czechoslovakia still haunt us, where the Nazis murdered hundreds of people in revenge for one of their occupation generals being killed by the Czech resistance. The Warsaw Ghetto Uprising happened because the Jews in the ghetto in Warsaw decided that it was better to die on their feet than to live on their knees waiting for the cattle trucks to take them on the final journey to the death camps. And they are remembered as heroes. And yet we are asked to believe not only that the inhabitants of the concentration camp of Gaza should agree to be silent about the misery of their lives in that refugee camp, should not only eschew their international legal right to rise up against it, but that when they do rise up against it, we should arm, fund, facilitate, propagandize for, diplomatically and politically, maneuver in support of a collective punishment of such disproportion that no one can quite believe it's still happening. 
If you told me 11 weeks ago that it would be possible for a modern so-called Western state to get away with murdering more than 10,000 children, more than 5,000 women, more than 25,000 civilian people, and still be being protected, still be being portrayed as the victims, I, I frankly would never have believed you. And I've been in politics for more than 50 years. I've been in the politics of this subject for more than 50 years. But even I would not have believed that the perpetrator of such massacre could possibly still be in training for the Olympic Games in Paris. We've got a poll running. Should Israel be banned from all sporting competitions? More than 30,000 people have already voted in it. Why do I even need to ask that question? Russia was banned from all international sporting and cultural associations. The minute that it crossed the Ukrainian border and remains banned, even though vast numbers of the people in eastern Ukraine have voted to join Russia, their mother country, the origin of their mother tongue, they feel liberated by the Russians. But the liberators of eastern Ukraine are banned, and maybe forever, from all international sporting occasions. It's going to be a big problem for you, President Macron, having Israel at your Olympic Games in Paris this coming year, because millions of people from all over the world will descend on your country, most of them gallant French men and women who will reject your support for the kind of Nazism which occupied your own country, in which the bravest and the best of your own countrymen and women rose up just like the Palestinian resistance against the illegal, brute, military occupation of their country. Not content with the massacres in Gaza, Israel is currently bombing three countries at the same time and still calling itself the victim. It murdered an Australian and his wife and his brother in South Lebanon today in an airstrike. I wonder if the Australian government has even noticed, never mind done anything about it. And of course, in Damascus this week, an act of murder most foul and pregnant with perhaps the most significant of consequences took place. An Iranian general, yes, another Iranian general, a comrade of General Soleimani, murdered by Donald Trump, was murdered by Israel in the Syrian capital of Damascus. It wasn't just an act of murder. 
and act on the extreme recklessness. Because if I'm any judge, Iran possesses not just the capability, but now the motive. In fact, the motive, the motive squared after the death of Soleimani. They have the motive squared to take their revenge on Israel for this act, which may well beget still further Israeli crimes against Iran, maybe even in Iran. And that will bring about the flattening of Tel Aviv and perhaps the beginning of World War III. It's that important. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night because this is the mother of all talk shows. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. I told you about the poll we're running. Should Israel be banned from all sporting competitions? 30,837 people have already voted. Have your say. On my telegram, t.me forward slash George Galloway. On my Twitter account, my X account on the YouTube community stream and on the YouTube itself. If you are watching on YouTube right now, please share. If you're watching on Facebook or on any platform that allows you to share, please do so with all of your contacts. Tell them that we are here, that we're broadcasting right now live about very important matters and that they should tune in. And don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel and press the like button and press the bell so that you are told when I am broadcasting. Mr. Algorithm has to be defeated. If you want to have your say, if you're in the US or Canada, it's toll free. It's plus one eight four four nine four four double three double four. That's plus one eight four four nine four four double three double four. If you're in the UK or Ireland, again, free of charge. It's 0808196552. That's 0808196552. If you're in the rest of the world, it's 0044203966265. One of our most important guests, one of our most popular guests, and certainly one of the guests that I look forward to most 
in talking to is Professor Syed Mohammed Marandi, who is the chair of American studies at the University of Tehran. And therefore, very timiously, he joins us now on the mother of all talk shows. Professor, thank you for uh, joining us. These are indeed uh, turbulent, momentous times even. Uh, my condolences uh, to you and the Iranian people uh, on the loss of such an important uh, figure in Iranian public life. Uh, it must have uh, grievously wounded the psyche of the people of Iran. Uh, what do you think is likely to happen as a result? These are dark times indeed. I would have liked to uh, wish your listeners and viewers a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, but it's very difficult to speak in such terms under these circumstances. I hope for all Christians and Muslims and Jews and everyone else that the months and uh, the year ahead are filled, are full of much better uh, events and uh, a better world uh, emerges from this catastrophe. Uh, I think that without a doubt, the Israelis uh, are trying to escalate. After all, Iran is key to the collective resistance. Everyone knows that the capabilities in Gaza, where it comes from, the capabilities in Lebanon, in Yemen, and uh, the resistance in Iraq, where it is inspired from as well. Just as the United States supports uh, the apartheid regime in its genocide, the Iranians support the resistance. So I think it's two re there are two reasons why the Israeli regime carried out this atrocity. One was because they were simply lashing out. They're angry because they are losing the war on all fronts. Uh, but also I think their Netanyahu would like to see escalation. So while there will be an Iranian response, there will be revenge, but I think the Iranians will formulate it in a way where in which the Israeli regime is punished, but which does not work to the advantage of Netanyahu. Uh, but Iran, in any case, will continue to support Gaza, the resistance in any way or form that's necessary, as well as the other movements in Lebanon, Yemen, and Iraq. All of them play a key role in preventing the regime from, the Israeli regime, from uh, carrying out further atrocities, as well as keeping a major part of the regime's armed forces in the north, and it is sacrificing its young men. Uh, Yemen, of course, is blocking off billions of dollars of trade, uh, and that is economically punishing the uh, Zionist regime. And of course, the Iraqi and uh, Syrian resistance, which is struggling against an illegal U.S. occupation, is really keeping the U.S. in check and preventing it from thinking seriously about joining the Israeli regime, because we all remember during the first few days, the U.S. naval forces came to the region 
And I think it was as a result of these different resistance groups working together, the U.S. finally held back. So I have no doubt that the Israeli regime will be punished, but it remains to be seen how this takes place. Now, Professor, I hear that uh, and take it on, on board. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's true that the Israelis want to escalate and widen the war because of their clear military failure in Gaza. They have not actually conquered one inch in Gaza. They are still open to attack from the resistance in every square inch of the territory. They are losing a significant number of people, and but for their highly developed uh, medevac uh, procedures, uh, they would have lost dead far, far more, as uh, an important Israeli spokesman said this week, that medical advances and the ability to get the wounded out and to a proper functioning hospital quickly has saved many lives, but they have still lost many, many lives in scenes that are almost, I mean, if they were in a war movie, you'd think they, they, they were an exaggeration. We see video of young men literally making their way up to a tank and placing a bomb on it and destroying a multi-million pound tank. We've seen these uh, many times we see people uh, emerging from under the ground uh, in Israeli armed encampments and filming them walking around before attacking them and successfully disappearing again. And more and more Israeli military and political figures are now openly talking about the sheer impossibility of defeating militarily uh, the Palestinian resistance. So that's one reason, and you identified it. But the other reason is this, isn't it? It's only by widening the war that Israel can directly bring the United States into it. And even someone in his dotage, like Joe Biden, must see the perils of that in an election year. Absolutely, and we have to keep in mind that Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and other resistance groups in Gaza, they have extraordinary capabilities. And that's why, as you point out, the Israeli regime has not been able to secure any part of Gaza, neither to the north nor in the central part of Gaza or the south. Now imagine what sort of capabilities exist in Lebanon. Imagine what sort of tunnels and facilities exist in Yemen. The Saudis, with U.S. and British and German and Canadian support, bombed the country for seven years. The Americans helped impose a starvation siege on Yemen. But they failed. And ultimately, the Saudis accepted a ceasefire when they saw that their oil and uh, oil facilities and their refineries were being targeted by drones and missiles. So the United States has to, I'm sure, recognize that the capabilities in Yemen, in Lebanon, go far beyond anything that exists in Gaza, which is surrounded. The capabilities that exist in Iraq, 
and in Syria have the same uh, map, uh, extra extraordinary dangers for the United States as in Yemen and Syria and Lebanon. And of course, in the Persian Gulf, we know what sort of capabilities Iran has. So the Americans definitely do not want escalation. But no one else in the region wants escalation either. No sane person wants escalation. The Iranians want an immediate ceasefire. The people of Palestine, the people across the region want a ceasefire. The reason why Hezbollah is giving martyrs, well over 100 martyrs, is to for help force the Israeli regime to end the war. The reason why Yemen is striking these ships that are going to and from Israeli ports is to bring about a ceasefire. The reason why the resistance in Iraq and Syria are targeting illegal U.S. bases is to bring about a ceasefire. So it's the Israeli regime that's want, that wants to expand the war. It is Netanyahu who wants to remain in power because he knows that if he is cast aside, if he's removed, that he'll probably go to jail. And it's the Americans and the Europeans that have been supporting this genocide, but that but which also recognize the, the, the huge dangers that exist if the war escalates. Now, France, Italy, and Spain have withdrawn from uh, the great armada announced uh, by Joe Biden for the Red Sea. Uh, I'm not so sure about the mighty Seychelles Navy, whether they're still in there, but it is largely a WASP uh, armada now, isn't it? White Anglo-Saxon Protestant countries are the last ones uh, patrolling uh, the Red Sea, but even they are not in a position to strike against Yemen, are they? No, they are not. Yemen has capabilities that far outweigh, as I said earlier, what exists in Gaza, simply because it Yemen is far larger and it is much easier for them to develop these capabilities, especially now that the Yemeni armed forces, after well over a year of uh, ceasefire, have been able to rebuild their capabilities. We have to remember that Ansarullah, the Yemeni armed forces, the only ships that they're blocking are those that are going to Israeli ports or leaving Israeli ports. They have said from day one that they have nothing to do with international shipping. Ships can go through the Red Sea, they can go through Babul Mandab and go and use the Suez Canal without any problems. Ships going to and from Europe, North Africa to Asia, all of them can pass through without any fear or concern. It is the Americans and the Europeans that wanted these ships not to go through that region to create a global crisis. So instead of trying to push the Israeli regime to accept a ceasefire, they wanted to push the globe towards a potential economic crisis. But uh, the, the Yemeni armed forces remained steadfast. And they said that we have nothing to do with ships going to and from countries unless countries attack Yemen. So if any of those European naval ships were to attack the Yemeni armed forces, then their ships, their ships would also, their commercial ships would also be barred from using the Red Sea. And that is probably why these 
very small navies of the European of these European Union countries did not participate in this uh, foolish uh, American gathering of naval forces. Although it is significant, isn't it? And you could say it's a fruit of the Saudi-Iranian rapprochement uh, that Saudi Arabia, despite intense pressure from the U.S., declined to join this armada, citing its wish uh, not to jeopardize the ceasefire and the peace process between itself and uh, Yemen. And the UAE, likewise, this was a big diplomatic blow to Joe Biden, yet another one. Yes, and we have to, we have to keep in mind that according to polls, 96% of Saudis are completely opposed to the Israeli regime and are opposed to any form of ties. So that I'm sure is something that leaders in Saudi Arabia, the crown prince, is thinking about. And they are thinking about when there is talk of negotiations uh, and ties with the Israeli regime. Things have changed dramatically. And of course, the United Arab Emirates is under a lot of pressure, even though these states do not uh, take into account public opinion and their family regimes. But 96% is almost a universal, and you, there's uni almost universal opposition in Saudi Arabia. So if they were to join this so-called armada, then how would that reflect uh, in Saudi Arabia itself? And the same is true in the Emirates. I'm sure the Emirates would probably want to join the Americans, like the uh, Bahraini regime, but they well recognize that if they do so, then the drones and missiles of the Yemeni armed forces could destroy the infrastructure of the United Arab Emirates and bring about the end of the regime, a regime which is completely dependent on trade and oil and uh, really a regime that has nothing much else to offer. Now, finally, sir, you're a distinguished professor of American studies. What are you telling your students uh, these days about the likely impact of all of this on the impending U.S. presidential elections? It's, it's hard to say. What I've been mostly telling my students is that in future, when the United States preaches about human rights, remember the genocide. When the European Union preaches about the rights of men and women and free speech, remember the Holocaust in Gaza. When they give a Nobel Peace Prize or some other prize to some person in the global South, always keep in mind that they have an agenda. Otherwise, they are the true enemies of human rights. What I think is the biggest impact, at least globally, is that the United States and the Europeans have destroyed their soft power, what remained of their soft power in this genocide, in this catastrophe that we're seeing live uh, through our cell phones and our desktops and laptops and televisions. And coming alongside a series of catastrophic wars, which latest being Ukraine and the decline of Western economies 
I think the influence of the West is also going to decrease in at a more rapid pace militarily and economically. But these will have a huge impact alongside the very fact that the United States is now deeply divided inside and that the the state is trying to prevent Trump from coming back to power. So inside the United States, you have a decline in economic fortunes. You see a young generation which is opposed to the crimes being committed in Gaza and the support that the regime is, in Washington is giving to Tel Aviv. But also you see people in the United States looking at the choice that has been given to them. One is Biden, who cannot speak, who's it's not clear how much he, of what he understands of his own words. And then you have Trump, who is uncontrollable, but who is also being marginalized and being treated like an opposition leader in a banana in a banana republic. So I think many young people in the United States today are recognizing the fact that the United States is not a democracy. It has never been a democracy. And it is a country that is guilty of the most horrific crimes against humanity and a unique series of crimes against humanity in the sense that these crimes are being carried out in front of a global audience, in, right in front of us, and they are opposing a ceasefire, the regimes in West, in Europe, in North America, and people will remember that. The younger generation in the United States will remember that on election day and beyond. Your students are lucky to have you. Professor Morandi, we were lucky to have you again this evening. Thanks for joining us on the mother Thank of you. all talk shows. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Well, Miko Pellet, the famous Israeli author and activist, is, of course, a former Israeli soldier, and his father is a former Israeli general. So they can't accuse him of anti-Semitism then. Welcome, Miko Pellet, back to the mother of all talk shows. I have uh, had a, a, a difficult 48 hours on social media under full assault. They, they moved the the, the target uh, now and again, and it was just my bad luck to have Christmas as the, as the number one target. But one of the startling new developments uh, was the accusation or the claim that Israel are the anti-colonialists, uh, that they are returning uh, to the land that they were driven from 2,000 
years ago. Ergo, they are the anti-colonialists, not those of us opposed uh, to the apartheid state uh, formed by European colonizers in Palestine. Your thoughts? Well, first of all, it's great to be with you again. Thanks for inviting me. It's it's been, it's been a while, so it's good to see you again. And yeah. uh, you know, it's it's really funny about I don't know when was it that Netanyahu was reelected the last time, and he was in the U.S. doing all the talk shows, and he was uh, actually he updated that history. By the way, he has a new update, which is that the Arabs came to Palestine in the sixth century and kicked out the Jews and colonized it. And they were engaged in ethnic cleansing and apartheid and all kinds of, you know, uh, you know, the world according to Netanyahu, the world according to the Zionists. I mean, it never ends because when your entire existence is justified by a lie, when your entire, when your entire uh, narrative is based on a lie, you have to keep updating it all the time. You have to keep changing it all the time. You have to build lies upon lies. The beauty of the, you know, support of, of, of the Palestinian cause or the Palestinian call for justice is that it's based on simplicity and truth. You know, the call for the Palestinians to the call for justice and freedom, uh, the call for liberation of Palestine, the call for a, a democratic Palestine, an all historic Palestine with equal rights is actually very simple. And it calls for something that will benefit everybody who lives within between the river and the sea. But of course, they can't accept that because that will lead to peace and will lead to, you know, a, a future for Israelis and Palestinians but since they don't want that. They have to keep building and building and building lies upon lies upon lies, spend billions and billions of dollars to pretend that these lies are somehow true. Just have all these people out there speaking, you know, attacking people like yourself, attacking me, attacking everybody who dares stand in their way uh, just to justify their lies, just to pretend that their lies are truth. So it must be very difficult for them. But, you know, they the lies just keep up they're being updated. There's never there's no end to it whatsoever. And of course, it's not true. There's nothing to do. The, no, you know, the, the, the Zionism is a settler colonial ideology. Well, I, 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 yeah, I, I mean, the idea of people uh, who claim that they originated somewhere, uh, although in truth, a significant number of them must have converted to the religion somewhere else and have no uh, actual DNA connection to the area. That would be a recipe for a total chaos in world affairs. The Romans could come back to England and say they were they were driven out of England by by Boadica, uh, and uh, and they were coming back to claim their birthright. Uh, it is a perfect nonsense, but a surprising number of apparently educated and intelligent people entertain this kind of nonsense, Miko. What's it all about, really? Well, I think there are two things. One is, like you said, that there's a, there's a great deal of ignorance, and even people who are educated can be stupid, and so that's that. The, there's no there's no contradiction there. And even if they are educated, it doesn't mean that they're educated on this on every single issue. And you know, and and so there, there are a lot of reasons why people are are uh, Ill, either ill informed or are, are, are tr lying. I mean, so you've got the paid informants, the paid spokespeople, the Dershowitzes, if you will, of the world. Who are out there spewing this nonsense because they they um, they are basically racist and, and full of hate and, and and hate Palestinians and 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 are glad to see the destruction and the death of Arabs and so on, and then you get people I think who are who are perfectly um, 
innocently ignorant. And and I think one of the problems that this that this that this um, that we're faced with right now is that there, well, on the one hand, there's a very compelling story out there, which is the Zionist narrative, the Jews returning after 2000 years after the Holocaust and rebuilding and building this wonderful state that's modern and democratic and so on. And then there is no real effort. There is no, you know, as a strong effort like the Zionists have to push forward the other narrative, the other story, which is the true story. There's no equivalent to the different lobbies and the different groups that the Zionists have around the world that are perpetuating on a, on a sustain in a systemic way in a, in a methodical way um, in a, through, an, through a, some kind of an establishment. There's no answer to that on the Palestinian side. There's nobody doing that. That's never been done. And you know we're working here in Washington D.C. to try to remedy that to create something here in Washington D.C. that will just present the other side in a compelling. I mean, it's a compelling story anyway but in a way that is systemic so that it's out there. So in case you do have somebody, an American politician or somebody who just wants to make an informed decision, that they have the other story in front of them, because right now they don't. I'm glad you uh, mentioned what is now quite a stark dichotomy. When I first became involved in this subject 50 years ago, uh, the Israeli lobby or supporters used to boast about Israel's social democratic character, even socialist character. They talk about the kibbutzim, a kind of primitive communism. Uh, they talk about the importance of the histadrut, the trade unions. The uh, ruling Israeli Labour Party was affiliated to the socialist international and so on. Nowadays, the supporters of Israel I mean, it's like a cesspit of racial hatred, of uh, anti-Muslim hatred, of anti-Arab uh, racism. And it's just so degenerate. It's like as the Israeli state degenerated, so has the mentality, the discourse of their supporters. You must be acutely aware of that. Yes, and I think uh, I, I think if we're to be honest, the, the type of socialism that the early, you know, those who established my grandparents' generation, my parents' generation, who established and ran the country for the first few decades, they were closer to national socialists than they were to socialists. They were closer to national socialism than they were to socialism, um, because they excluded the indigenous population. I mean, they kicked out as many as they could, and then they excluded the ones who remained from from any of the benefits of, of the state that they created. So they weren't really socialists. And for reasons beyond understanding, the world allowed them to get away with it. I mean, when you think about this, look, I mean, you know this, uh, the three years after the Holocaust, three years after the end of World War II, the world allowed an apartheid state to be formed. A brutal campaign of ethnic cleansing was allowed to take place in Palestine, which is, you know, a, high, a place of, of a very high fo you know, focal point. Um, and it was a lot to happen. I mean, the massacres, we don't even know how many were, were, were killed in these massacres in 1948, and the cleansing got, you know, the horror stories. And an apartheid state was established in Palestine three years after the end of the genocide of the Jews in Europe, of Europe. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And the world just sat down and, and, and welcomed it and allowed it to happen. And of course, the rest of the world, gradually, the entire world uh, ended up supporting this, this thing. And like you said, even socialists, people who are real socialists, real, you know, 
believers in equality and, and, and justice were supporting this thing and would come to visit. It's an artist, you know, Mikis Todorakis and Joan Baez and all these big names who are known for being progressive came to Israel to perform. You know, they thought that the kibbutzim were a miracle and so forth. And somehow the fact that they erased the Palestinian people, they erased Palestine, the fact that they've been engaged in genocide, I mean, the erasure of a people, culturally, physically, in every other way, didn't even come, didn't even surface, didn't even bother any of these people. And to me, that is unbelievable. You know, so today, of course, like you said, they're, 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 their rhetoric is much more violent. Their rhetoric is much more honest. We should say, I should say, uh, and 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 very clear. In those days, they pretended to want peace. They pretended they were somehow again socialist, loving people, and so on. But they were no different then than they are now, other than the rhetoric, really. And the world allowed it to happen. Yeah, a friend of mine, Bill Spears, now departed, uh, used to say that the kibbutzim are to socialism as a group of thieves agreeing to distribute their spoils equally. Uh, but of course, these kibbutzim were built on stolen land. Uh, the 700,000 displaced in the catastrophe uh, are now 1,400,000 displaced in Gaza. You know, as I do, how small is Gaza? 1.4 million of them have been displaced, their houses destroyed. The pictures from northern Gaza today show, frankly, a desert, uh, a wasteland. Uh, it is uh, the abandonment of all pretense, isn't it? Yes, and many of those refugees who are in Gaza now, they used to live in, that, in, the, in the villages, in the towns that existed, where these a lot of these kibbutzim, like Kibbutz Be'eri, that was attacked you know, very heavily, Kibbutz which is just north, and I actually have family in both of these kibbutzim, and I was spent a lot of time there growing up, and so on. These are just beautiful, lovely communities, you know, with green grass and swimming pools, and you know, people running, kids running freely, barefoot all day, and no, not not a, not a worry in the world. And just a few short kilometers away, they've created this 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 you know massive concentration camp, even before the you know the latest uh, the latest attack. But from the very beginning, it's really what it was. It was a concentration camp for refugees. And I remember growing up and visiting these places and enjoying them very much with my family. And never a word was said about what is going on a few kilometers away. And the fact that those people over there in these camps, these refugees, were, were sitting on their land, were enjoying their land, were enjoying their water, you know, and it's it's just unbelievable. And, and another thing is the kibbutzim, particularly in that part of the country, around Gaza and in the southern part of the country, the Nakab, they enjoy one of the high, some of the highest standards of living among Israelis, you know, because the Nakab is a very fertile, is a very fertile desert. So, and none, none of this ever was ever brought up. The fact that these people over there are watching, and 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 seeing their land being taken, being cultivated, homes being built, and people living, enjoying really a wonderful, a very high standard of living, while the people whose land this is are not even permitted to visit. They're not, you know, they're, if they're lucky, they're permitted to work. And the kibbutzim, as, as you know, initially they did not hire labor, but later on, many of them realizing that there's much more profit in hired labor. Uh, allowed the Palestinians whose land this was to come and cultivate the land and be there and be the laborers who who were paid pittance and then would go back to the refugee camps, and so the the hypocrisy of the kibbutzim and the hypocrisy of this of of everything really that is said about Israel uh, from its from the very beginning 
is just astounding. It's just really, really astounding. And and it's, it comes at a price, the price that we're seeing now, tens of thousands of Palestinians being murdered like this. You know, this is number one, it's not new. And number two, it's It's just horrifying. This is a heavy price is being paid to allow Israel to pretend that it's this, you know, miracle and, and so on. The, uh, you know, I, I was born in the shadow of World War II and uh, into uh, a socialist family. So uh, the events of the Second World War have uh, cast a, a shadow and an endless fascination for me. I, I can't stop watching the liberation of Berlin, even though I know the ending. Uh, but one of the things that struck me while you were speaking there was, uh, and I've, I resisted for decades under instruction from my, my, my leaders, uh, the comparison of Israeli behavior, the nature of the Israeli state, and actual Hitler fascism and its conduct in the Holocaust, the greatest crime of the 20th century. But as somebody pointed out today on social media, if, if, if you don't like being called Nazis, stop behaving like Nazis. But they are behaving like Nazis in Gaza right now, aren't they? You know, it's again, the problem is always in what you call them, not in what they do. So they don't like apartheid, yeah. and they fight about the word apartheid. They don't try to stop the apartheid. They don't like ethnic cleansing. They don't like center colonialism, but that's precisely what they do. Whatever it is that, how, however it is that we define them, they don't like the definition. Their argument is always about the word. They never try, like you say, they never try to stop the actions that are actually the, the you know, the, the expression of what it is that we're calling, the, you know, it's the action comes first and then people are, are, are making the comparisons. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's horrifying. It's horrifying. And then they get into all these arguments. Well, the Nazis were worse. The Nazis did more. The Nazis did this. The, the apartheid wasn't exactly the same. The apartheid was this. You know what I mean? They get into these nonsensical arguments about the definition instead of understanding, which, of course, they I, I believe they do understand. They don't want to admit that they are in guy engaged in massive crimes against humanity, and they've been doing so since three years after the Holocaust. In other words, they began three years after the Holocaust ended engaging in, in, in three horrifying crimes against humanity, the ethnic cleansing, the genocide, and the apartheid regime. All three are crimes against humanity. These are horrifying crimes they've been engaged in from the very beginning. And again, the best they can do is come and argue whether it is apartheid or it isn't apartheid, whether it is this or it isn't that. And, you know, that's, that's all they can do. But the problem is they're being allowed to do this. This is allowed, this is being allowed to continue the, the, I think the the chief of the U.S. of the of the of the, of the English army is now in Tel Aviv, sitting with his counterpart, the Israeli counterpart. I mean, these are things that really? are just unbelievable, and everybody knows what's going on. You know, it's all over the place. I don't think anybody has any doubt that these are horrifying crimes against humanity. Um, and uh, every every conversation, every interview, almost begins with, "Do you condemn the Palestinians?" It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Now, uh, Netanyahu was open this morning to Likud. He said he's working on transfer uh, of, the, uh, of, the, of the population. In other words, you might, you might not call it ethnic cleansing, but ethnic cleansing is clearly what it is. If you transfer people off their land uh, into other countries, and it's said that Netanyahu's government is bribing African and Latin American countries to 
take these uh, people that will be transferred out. Do you think this will succeed? Do you think they'll be able to bribe or browbeat Egypt, Jordan, and other countries around the world to actually allow uh, the ethnic cleansing of Gaza? I don't. And, you know, the, the, the Palestinian member of Knesset, Ahmed Tibi, gave a speech, I think it was yesterday, you know, where the, the prime minister residence is on a crossroad with a major street in West Jerusalem, which is called Gaza Road, funny enough. And uh, Dr. Mohamed Tibi said, uh, Netanyahu will be kicked out of Gaza Street before Palestinians will, will, will leave Gaza. You know, they're not going to go anywhere. The Palestinians will not leave. They will die. Another friend of my Palestinian friends, a friend of mine, Yusuf Jamal, wrote a piece uh, a few weeks ago that the, the, the road to heaven, heaven is closer than the Sinai. The Palestinians are not leaving. And uh, sadly enough, the entire world is allowing them to be killed, you know, like this, you know, tens of thousands, be, you know, being killed. And they're allowing this conversation to go on. In other words, no, there's no consequence for Netanyahu speaking like this. There's no consequence for the Israelis speaking like this openly. And of course, there's no consequence for the actions either. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing horrific things. And once again, you know, watching it in context for 75 years, they've been doing this. And they're being and they're being allowed to do this. And granted, in the beginning, perhaps they weren't as honest about about their intentions. Um, uh, Palestinians aren't going anywhere. I think the King of Jordan made it up absolutely clear that um, the that the that Jordan and Egypt will not will not allow this to happen. And uh, and he said this in the very very beginning. And I don't I don't believe that uh, the Palestinians will will go. And and the thing is, you know, to to People, the, part of the Zionist narrative is that the problem is that Jordan, Jordan and Egypt are the problem because they won't allow the Palestinians to go. Or the Arab countries where the Palestinian refugees, refugee camps exist are the problem because they won't allow the Palestinians to become, you know, the problem is Israel. The problem has always been Israel. Israel is the initial crime. Israel does not allow the refugees to return. Israel has been murdering refugees in their camps in Palestine and around Palestine for decades. Israel caused the problem. And somehow everybody is allowing Israel as, as being as allowing Israel to parade itself as though it is some kind of a miracle, some kind of a wonderful democracy, liberal democracy, and nobody is standing up. I mean, seriously, how is it that nobody has called for sanctions against the state of Israel? How is it nobody has called for a no-fly zone over Gaza yet? How is it that the sixth fleet, that you know, the US Navy Sixth Fleet that is in the Mediterranean is not there to protect Palestinians? to protect this massacre of tens of thousands of Palestinians and stop this genocide. How is it that that is not the conversation? How is it that, you know, the UK, which has which has naval vessels in the Mediterranean, isn't coming in to, to step in to stop this massacre of Palestinians? That is, to me, the, the most unbelievable. And, these are, and this is also something that the, these countries and these leaders are going to pay for later on, because they will have to answer for this. They will answer for this. This is not going to, you know, our, our kids, our grandkids are going to demand answers and they're going to demand justice. But how is it that this hasn't happened yet? How is it that there are no calls in the European Parliament to stop this, to stop this, to, to protect and defend the Palestinian people? There's no guarantees for the safety and security of Palestinians anywhere in Palestine, whether they're citizens of, of the state of Israel, whether they're in the West Bank, there is no one guaranteeing their protection. You can kill a Palestinian in the middle of the day, in the middle of the street, and you will be considered a hero. This is, to me, the most, the most astounding issue here. Uh, finally, Miko, a personal question. Uh, I, I used to know a lot of Israelis like you. 
uh, not as brave, not as eloquent, uh, perhaps, but down Shankin Street, the people from Yesh Gavul uh, who refused to fight in the Lebanon War and so on. Uh, I had breakfast with one who's now in Paris, asked about another one who's moved to uh, Lisbon. Uh, you are in Washington. Are there any Israelis like you left in Israel? And how would you quantify them in terms of their numbers and indeed the quality of their analysis? You know, that's a difficult question. I mean, I appreciate the compliments. Um, the uh, There is a small group of, of progressive Israelis who are, who are, who are you know, getting beaten and, and, and being arrested and, and so on. There are... Uh, but but it's a very 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 small number. We we do have probably maybe even the most courageous community that exists within Jewish community that exists within Palestine, or the ultra orthodox community who have been who have been resisting uh, Zionism from the very beginning, and they do protest and they refuse to serve in the military and they get beaten and they get their the, the neighborhoods get raided by the police in ways that remind us. Of, of 1930s uh, Germany. I mean, it's unbelievable what, what the Israeli police and the Israeli authorities do to this community. And they start staying firm and they have protests every single week. And to me, they might be the most, you know, the, the bravest Jewish community that lives within Palestine right now. There is a small group of people and they, you know, they'll publish an article here and there and they'll do an interview here and there. But they are, it's an insignificant number. It's a completely insignificant number. And the vast majority of what used to be called the left uh, in at least in Israeli terms, used to be called the left. They were Zionist left, and they opted to remain Zionist and 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 disregard the left, and disregard the peace, and remain Zionist. And today they are serving. Many of them are serving, happy to serve in in this, uh, participate in this uh, in the slaughter in Gaza. Very sad. Very sad indeed, Miko Pellet. Very very good to see you again. Let's not leave it so long before you are back good with to us. See you again. Thanks very Thank much you. indeed. Thank you for joining us. I really enjoyed our conversation. I would have let it go on even longer, but we've got a lot of people on the line, a very large lot of people. Let me take a quick break. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Let's hear from G in Leeds on Gaza. Go ahead, G. Um, I don't know if you're aware about it. A few weeks ago, it was revealed that Israeli helicopters killed its own festival goers in the Nova Festival. Um, it's been reported. A lot. On yeah, the we Israeli don't know how many. Yeah, we don't know how many, but uh, we we know we know that a lot of the people killed on October seven were killed by Israeli armed force. We know that. Yes. But um, it was never mentioned on the British media, which is questionable. But then this mm. throws everything into the war being illegal. They've got no right to be there. This uh, claim of self-defence is not a self-defence when they kill their own people. Uh, it's so, so wrong no, now. The, the, law, the, the, the law is very clear, G, uh, that no occupying force has the right of self-defence to threats emanating from the territory that they illegally control. Uh, otherwise, the French resistance would have all been murderers instead of heroes. If you are yeah, occupying yeah, but... someone else's country, the people whose land you're occupying 
have the legal right to fight you. Uh, Go ahead, there, G. Is, is Israel cannot claim self-defense if it's killed its own people. Do you understand what I'm saying now? Uh, yeah, they would say that these people were uh, collaterally killed uh, in their attempt to suppress uh, what they would call a terrorist uh, attack. Uh, it is uh, utterly reckless, of course, and the Israeli public is up in arms about it, uh, not least because of all the efforts that have been made to uh, conceal it. Uh, all the false atrocity stories that were launched after October 7th were designed not just to justify what has happened since in Gaza, but to divert the public's attention from who killed whom on October 7th. All these cars uh, that were attacked from the air were clearly not attacked by uh, the Palestinian resistance people who had broken out of the concentration camp because they only had small arms, by definition. Uh, these cars were all bombed and strafed by, by warplanes, Israeli warplanes. Palestine doesn't have any warplanes. All these houses in the kibbutz uh, that were uh, totally destroyed were destroyed by Israeli tank fire. Only tank fire could have destroyed them. Now, Israel is slowly accepting and admitting that 12 people here, that another 10 people there were killed by the Israeli armed forces. But it was not a mistake. It was part of a policy introduced by Netanyahu called the Hannibal Directive. The essential parts of which are this. Do not allow any Israelis to be taken hostage. If you must kill the Israelis, before they become hostages. Now that's brutal, it's inhuman, it's arguably criminal, but it's definitely very Israeli, very, very Israeli. Walter is in Blackpool on the Syria raids and on Western troops in Syria, and I wanted to hear that. Walter, go ahead. Thanks very much for having me, George. Um, well, I was very interested and pleased that you mentioned Syria because uh, isn't it strange how Syria has disappeared from the headlines recently? Uh, I'm not saying recently, but in the last few years. Yeah? Now, the thing is that we've always been told that not only have the uh, US and UK withdrawn from Iraq, but they, they refused, in accordance with their legislatures, to engage in any military activity in Syria. And yet, the, this is... This is all open in the legacy media. Every week we read about attacks by the Iranian forces on military targets in Syria and also in Iraq. So here we have a situation where the will of the elected parliaments of both the United Kingdom and the United States are being totally disregarded, and we are still having troops in Syria and Iraq. Now, the thing is that it isn't the British or the, U, the U.S. who uh, destroyed ISIS in Syria. It is the Russians. And I think that's the sore point that the U.K. and the U.S. can't live with. Well, uh, it was the Russians and the Syrian Arab army who destroyed the ISIS-Al-Qaeda Western-backed attempt 
to overthrow the government in Damascus, to change the nature of the Syrian state to, uh, to uh, uh, what let's call it a primitive uh, form uh, of uh, extremist Islamism. Uh, it was the Russians and the Syrian Arab army that did it. And likewise, uh, it wasn't the Americans or the British who destroyed ISIS and Al-Qaeda in Iraq. It was Iran and the Iraqi army and the popular mobilizations of, uh, of guerrilla fighters uh, who defeated ISIS and Al-Qaeda in Iraq. So uh, it is indeed ironic that the United States, having been told to leave Iraq in an overwhelming vote by the Iraqi parliament, have simply refused to leave. And they remain in bases. Those bases are regularly attacked and could be at any time. If your son or daughter is in one of these bases, listen to me, could be at any time turned into a Benghazi into exactly what happened to the U.S. Uh, embassy compound in Benghazi in Libya and in Syria, where the United States continues illegally to occupy the oil-producing region of Syria. Imagine that. Uh, these bases uh, can be blown away by the Syrian resistance, the Iraqi resistance, and anyone else who is interested in ending of the U.S. presence in Syria, which may, in the end, in certain circumstances, include even Russia. So uh, our presence there is entirely illegitimate uh, and has placed our forces there in very great danger indeed. Last word to you, Walter. Thank you very much. I can only add that what your previous correspondent says about U.S. becoming a third world country or of another republic, I'm afraid that now applies to the country of which you and I are citizens. Sadly, you're right, uh, Walter. Uh, we have, uh, uh, someone put it on social media tonight, we have a prime minister uh, sitting at his desk, uh, uh, writing longhand, uh, pretending to be Kevin from home alone. Uh, our shrunken political class. And I don't just refer to the midget that is Rishi Sunak, a literal midget. Uh, but the other midget, Keir Starmer, whose Christmas card was photoshopped so that his wife would not look taller than him, which she is by several inches, as a metaphor for how shrunken our political class is, it really couldn't be bettered. We have never faced more existential danger as a country since the summer of 1940 and what became the Battle of Britain into 1941, when the entire existence of our people, our country, such freedoms as we had, was in peril with Hitler at the Channel ports, with everyone else in Europe having collapsed like a cheap tent. The Hitlerites planning to cross the Channel. We have never faced more existential dangers 
to our people since then than we face today. But there ain't no Winston Churchill in this picture at all. There's only Rishi Sunak and Sir Keir Starmer. Just think about that. Last call, I think, from Abdi in Minnesota on Israel. Go ahead, Abdi. Assalamu alaikum, George. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Welcome. What would you like to say? I salute everybody, you, your wife, all the guys working on the behind the scenes, the telephones. Please convey them to my deepest, deepest, uh, sincere message to them. And I said, Assalamu alaikum to all of them too. God bless you. Thank you so much. George, thank you very much for everything you're doing. Just like I said before, I don't think we can add anything to whatever you and your uh, brilliant uh, commentators and guests have spoken about. We see how the world is progressing now through this war. I have two things that I need to ask you tonight, and these are my theories, and I would like to see your perspective on it. My thing is this war is going to be extrapolated by the Israeli government into a nuclear war. God forbid. I'm not looking forward to that one, but the way I naively think about in a layman's term, when I analyze, when I sit down, when I see, I think they're going to ex escalate it to that just to prove a point that they are the next power to the United States and power is moving to them and they can do whatever they want to do and no accountability and no, like, you know, any uh, repercussions to them. That's number one. Number two, my, the reason I said that is since they have failed, and like, you know, in the larger sense of the American, like, you know, we American, our, how can I call it? the Bill Gates and all the other guys that are with him and the Epstein that has been long gone. I think since they have failed population control, this war is going to extend into poor people's countries like Yemen, like Somalia, like all the Muslim Arab states over there. And they wanted to annihilate as many people as they want in the cover-up of this war. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, these, well, these are very bleak uh, predictions or, or speculations. Uh, I, I'm reluctant to agree to either of them, but cannot rule out uh, either of them. Uh, it is now being more or less openly admitted that which has been denied for decades uh, that Israel is in possession of illegally acquired and illegally held nuclear weapons. Uh, Mr. Vanunu uh, went uh, to prison in solitary confinement for more than 20 years. He's still not free. From the 1980s till now, he's still not free for telling the world through the Sunday Times uh, that Israel uh, at Demona possessed uh, figure then uh, of, uh, I think it was 120 nuclear warheads. It has been denied always that Israel has these nuclear weapons, but it's now being openly threatened uh, on, on Israeli state TV. There's no longer any effort being made to deny. Just think about that. Illegally acquired nuclear weapons, illegally held nuclear weapons. 
subject to zero inspection by anybody. No one even asks. Can you imagine even the IAEA that was never done inspecting Iran, inspecting Iraq? Nobody even asks. Israel, can we come in and inspect your nuclear weapons? Because the answer would be, we don't have nuclear weapons, which everybody now knows to be a lie. But will they use them? I doubt it. They can't use them in Gaza because uh, the whole point about nuclear weapons is that their impact uh, is unlimited in space and time. Uh, it's radioactive blowback. Uh, could not be confined to Gaza. It would, within 60 seconds, be in Ashkelon. And uh, within uh, 20 minutes uh, or less, would be in Tel Aviv. So you cannot use weapons of that uh, mass destruction in uh, Gaza. They might fire one at Iran, in which case they might get a very big surprise back in the post in return, whether a nuclear one or merely a conventional one, uh, which would have the same impact on a tiny piece of land like Israel as the use of a, of a nuclear uh, weapon. I don't believe that the United States would permit uh, Israel to use a nuclear weapon against Iran, but circumstances could develop in which that might be a possibility, in which case, Abdi, it's the end for all of us. It is the end of the show, but the good news is I'll be back on Hogmanay, that's right, on New Year's Eve at the normal time of 9 p.m. UK with a very special edition of the mother of all talk shows. The vote was enormous, 35,230. And overwhelmingly, people are saying, Mr. Macron, kick Israel out of the Paris Olympics. Well, I'll see you on Wednesday and say my Happy New Year's then. Until then, good night.